The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. I want to begin with this. We are in tonight, uh, the end of this day. This is the first day of the Hebrew feast known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And the, the way you say it in Hebrew is Sukkot. So everybody say Sukkot. Okay, it's very good Hebrew. So what is the Feast of Tabernacles? What is Sukkot about? It remembers God's miraculous provision for the Jewish people for 40 years in the wilderness after they were delivered from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. God provided supernaturally a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, to shield Israel from the sun. Uh, and their shoes never wore out, their clothing never wore out. Uh, God gave them literally bread from, would come from the sky called manna, called angels food, and he fed them through the wilderness with manna. They had, there were two million at least of them, maybe two and a half million, from babies all the way up to grandpas and grandmas, going through a desert, and they're in the wilderness. How are you gonna give them water? God provided supernaturally for them. Water literally came out of a rock to quench the thirst of that many people. And there was the cloud by day. The divine manifest presence of God tabernacling personally and visibly with Israel. So God said, now I want you, now that that's happened, now you're in the promised land, every year at this season of the year, I want all of my children of Israel, don't spend the night in your homes. Go outside. Build a little tent, which we'll talk about what that is. And, and it's a little hut, basically, and put palm branches for a roof. So you, basically, you're camping with your kids for seven days. And at night, when you would look up through the palm branches, you could see the stars. So when the kids would ask, Mom, Dad, why are we not in our house, why are we out here, why are we camping, why are we looking at the stars, they would remind them our forefathers and foremothers supernaturally went through the wilderness and they would tell the story of the great exodus and God's glorious provision. So we are in an exciting time of history and prophecy right now. And I think that with everything that has happened at the beginning of this year, uh, especially with this virus and all of the unintended consequences that have followed. There maybe has never been such a time or a greater need for us to reflect on him who is our great provider. Amen. That's what this week is all about. In fact, isn't it interesting that the very things which cause the greatest personal suffering are often the greatest springboards for us to get free of ourselves or the enemy or our past. So I believe this is a very powerful uh, time. It's a time where the whole world is going through this period called the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the midst of all the chaos and everything else that has been going on, it's time for us to get clarity. What is the Lord saying to his church? What is his word to us? We are right now witnessing, I shared a few weeks ago with you, the Abraham Accords, a Teutonic shift 
has happened in the Middle East. And for the first time, not only in the history of Israel, <laughs> 70 years, 70 plus years, but maybe the first time in 4,000 years that God is actually bringing together the sons and daughters of Ishmael and of Abraham, Isaac, through Isaac, and he's bringing them together. They're calling them peace treaties. They are working together. The Arabs in the Muslim world are saying, the Gulf nations, we want to normalize relations with Israel. And I don't know how to even tell you this, but, but there are over 700 uh, Palestinian businesses and, and Jewish businesses that are working together even in the West Bank area. It's absolutely unprecedented. I believe it's a sign that Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's bow our heads. I want to say a special prayer for tonight's message on the Feast of Tabernacles. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will now come I thank you that we're outside. I thank you that, that we are under literally the open heaven. Father, we are under the stars tonight. We are under the sky. May you speak to us. May we hear what the Spirit would say to the church tonight, and especially for these days in which we live. May you visit us from on high with power and with glory. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so we're going to go through this uh, quickly, but so the Feast of Tabernacles is also known as the Feast of Sukkot, which is also known as the Feast of Booths, and all of these are different translations of the same Hebrew word Sukkot. So Sukkot, uh, and, and that's what tabernacle literally means, and God said that I want you to have a feast called Sukkot. As I put here in your notes, the word feast means a divine appointment. It's an appointed time. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that we're having the Feast of Tabernacles right now in the midst of what's happening with the Abrahamic Accords that are taking place in the Middle East. Here you'll notice it's called Sukkot. The O-T at the end makes it plural. So what is a Sukkot? Uh, a Sukkot is a tent. When you think of Sukkot, think of tents. And Sukkot means plural. If you want to speak of one tent, it's called a sukkah. But Sukkot is plural. So, but think of it as tents. <laughs> and God literally wanting an entire nation, two plus million people, lived in tents during the 40 years. And then even when Israel became a nation, every year at Sukkot, everybody would move out of their house, move outside, move into a tent for those seven or really eight days. It is also known as the Feast of Nations. Uh, for Yom Kippur, we were here uh, Monday evening for Yom Kippur. How many of you were here for that? Wasn't that awesome? Such a beautiful and special time. And then there's to be five days later and you're to have the Feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's also called the Feast of the Nations. And the reason for that is, during Tabernacles, during this time in ancient Israel, they would sacrifice, during the seven days, 70 bulls. So you read that in the scriptures, that one day it would be this many, the next day a few more, a few more, a few more. When you add it all together, there were 70 
bulls that were sacrificed during the Feast of Tabernacles. Why 70? Because in Genesis chapter 10, we read the names of 70 individuals who were all the grandsons of Noah, and therefore the 70 grandsons of Noah represented all the nations of the earth. So literally, the children of Israel, now that they're in tabernacles, God says, you are a priest nation, because out of the 70 nations, God created a one nation, a unique nation, Israel, as a nation, they were to be priests. So after they had made their sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins as a nation, five days later, God said, I want you to begin making 70 sacrifices over 70 days, so that Israel was to be the priests to bring the word of salvation to the nations of the whole world. So what I want you to know is that, you know, sometimes we talk about the Jewish people, the chosen people, and a lot of people get mad about that or they get ticked off about it. Why are they so special? Why are they chosen? And what about us? And I want to say this. The only reason God chose them as a nation is so that he could reach all the nations of the world. God never wanted to just reach one nation. He wanted through the one nation to reach them all. And so that was his process. That was his plan. Through Abraham, ultimately would come not only Israel, but through Israel would come the Messiah. And through the Messiah, he would die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. So the reality is, if you're in Jesus, who is the Messiah, you are the chosen of God. Can I hear an amen on that? Now, if the nations had known that the special call of God for Israel was to make sacrifices and atonement so that the world could be forgiven of their sins, they never would have destroyed the temple. In fact, if the nations understood the purpose of God and the plan of God, they would have sent the armies of the world to protect the temple from all evil. That's what they would have done, and that's what they should have done. It's just like the devil to get the nations to destroy the very thing that God wants to use to make atonement for them. So Leviticus chapter 23, verses 41 through 43. And Leviticus 23 tells us about the seven feasts. I've already told you that the seven feasts all point to the Messiah. All seven feasts are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And tonight we're looking at the seventh feast. So in Leviticus 23, beginning of verse 41, it says this, You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Now I want you to notice that there, it's a celebration for seven days. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall dwell in booths, and that word booths is basically tents, for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. So he said, you're going to dwell in booths for seven days. Then he says it a second time, I want you, all the Israelites, to dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in what? Booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So not once, not twice, three times, God says, I want you to live in a tent. And I want you to remember my dramatic deliverance from slavery 
and the miracles I brought you through the wilderness, and I gave you a new identity, and I gave you a new land. This is a picture of salvation for the church. God wants us to realize he delivered us from slavery. Do you realize we were slaves of Satan? Slaves to our flesh, slaves to sin, slaves to darkness, slaves to demons, doing and manipulating us in any way they wanted. So the blood of Jesus delivered us and set us free. Miraculously, he manifests his presence in the Holy Spirit to deliver us, to give us a new identity as sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? So when we hear, so he says, you will keep this feast. We hear feast and we think food. But in Hebrew, the, the word feast is moed, and it means a divine appointment. And God showed us back in the year 2008, you know, I mean, we're a Christian church, part of, you know, Calvary Chapel, whatever. And so uh, we had never celebrated the feast. I didn't even think about the feast. In fact, when I thought of the seven feasts in Leviticus 23, I thought those are for the Jews. Until I met my friend Mark Biltz who is a Jewish Messianic believer, and he goes, Ray, they're not just for the Jews. It doesn't say these are the feasts of the Jews. It says in Leviticus 23, these are the feasts of the Lord. If he's your Lord, these divine appointments are for you. And all seven of them point to Jesus, so then they point to anyone who loves Jesus. So Jesus was crucified on the divine appointment of Passover, literally on the day. They had been celebrating these seven feasts every year at the same calendar for 1,500 years. They're called holy convocations. Leviticus 23, verse 2. Holy convocation means rehearsals. They're like dress rehearsals. So they had 1,500 dress rehearsals of Passover. And then one year, it went from being a rehearsal to reality. And that was the year that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was crucified on the cross. And the next day, the second feast was fulfilled because it's the feast of unleavened bread. Leaven is a type of sin. The second day, Jesus' body was buried in the tomb and he was without sin, literally on the day. And the third feast is on the third day and it's called first fruits. And on the third day, Jesus is the first human being to rise from the dead forever and ever and conquer death, conquered sin, conquered the devil. And 50 days later, exactly on the day of the fourth feast on Pentecost, boom, the Holy Spirit came. So it was boom, 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 three days in a row, 50 days later, boom. So all of those feasts are in the spring and they're all bunched together. They all were, lit. so if you're a Jew and you've been doing this your whole life and your grandpas and your great grandpas for 1500 years, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes and you see them all fulfilled, you're like, whoa, wow. But then there's the summer harvest. Over the summer, there are no feasts. The summer harvest is a picture of the church age where God would build a church, a Jew and a Gentile, put them together, make the bride of Christ. But I believe that we are now living in the days where there's three feasts left, and they're all three in the fall, and they're all in the, within a couple of weeks of each other. And so number five is trumpets, which we, how many of you love the Feast of Trumpets? 
which I believe is a picture of the rapture of the church. And then Yom Kippur, which is a picture of the second coming. And then this one, Tabernacles, is a picture of the kingdom age, where the king of heaven comes to the earth and the Lord rules and reigns for a thousand years. Amen? Amen. So for seven days in the seventh month, you're to dwell in tents to remind them that the Lord brought them out of Egypt. Now, here's an interesting scripture, Genesis chapter 33, verse 17. We read this, and I, you've probably read this, but you didn't realize what it was or what you were reading or even what it meant, but I think now you'll never read this verse again in the same way. It says in Genesis 33, verse 17, and Jacob journeyed to Sukkot, which means it's called tent, that means a tent, tent city. Jacob journeyed to Sukkot. He built himself a house and made Sukkots, or basically booths, which means tents for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot. So that's where it comes from. It's in the Bible. It was part of the patriarch's life. So all Israel would live outside in tents with palm branches so they could see the stars and remember that God tabernacled with them in the wilderness for 40 years. But listen very carefully. God wasn't finished when he was with them. Supernaturally, they could point. And by the way, for 40 years, this is the good news. There was not one Jew that was an atheist. Because everybody could point. Well, there's God. So what do you mean you don't believe? He's right there. The pillar of fire. He's a cloud by day. There's no atheist. You can get mad. You can get frustrated. Which the children of Israel did. But there were no atheists. They saw the presence of God. But guess what? That tabernacling experience for that generation, God said, oh, you haven't seen anything yet. What you saw from a distance, I'm going to take all of my presence and all of my divinity and all of my holiness and all of my righteousness and all of my glory, and I'm going to come inside and tabernacle through a human being. So... Exodus chapter 23, verse 16, it says, And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering. So that's another name for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's at the end of the year, or read the end of time. It's the final harvest coming in. Hello, brothers and sisters, in the year 2020, I'm telling you, we are living in the final end of the year. The king is on his way. When you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. The end of the Jewish year was basically always in October. So it would end and then it would begin anew. I was studying this and getting ready for it. You know something strange that I realized? When I started my first church, I wasn't thinking about the date or the calendar or anything else. But I remember I started... Calvary Chapel of El Cajon in 1977, right after Vicky and I got married, in the month of October. And then years later, after being at Horizon Christian Fellowship with Mike McIntosh for a couple of years, and then God said, I'm going to have you start a new church. I had turned Calvary over in El Cajon to some other uh, pastor. And God said, I want you to move north. And I moved north. At, you know, we started actually in a uh, Glenn Hiroshiki's home Bible study in Mira Mesa. And then we started the church, and guess what month it was in? The month of October. So there's something about October, the ending and the beginning. I want you to note this. God said you have to be in Israel three times a year, and in the three times a year, they would celebrate all seven feasts. 
but it's all around the agricultural year. Passover is the barley harvest. So they would be there for Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Then they would go back home. Then they would come back for the second time they had to be in Israel. Again, notice one, two, three times they have to be there, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second time was for Pentecost, and that was the wheat harvest. And then they had to come back again a third time in the fall for the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Tabernacles is called the fruit harvest. That's where the grapes, the olives, the pomegranates. Now, the reason I wanted to point this out to you is we talked about basically Passover and Pentecost have been fulfilled in the first coming. So we have three feasts left, and they're all in the fall, and they're all related to the fruit harvest. Listen to this. The book of Revelation is about the final end gathering, where God's going to bring all of the fruit in from the fields. And what's interesting is if you read the book of Revelation, it's about the Feast of Tabernacles. It's about that the grapes of wrath are ripe. It even mentions them. It talks about them. It's the fruit harvest. So you and I get to be part of that fruit harvest. And here's another interesting thing. This generally, the tabernacles would happen in the fall, October and or November. And so I want you to look at this picture. If I show you this picture of all this fruit, uh, what are you going to be thinking of? Thanksgiving, right? That now, did you know Thanksgiving in America was patterned after tabernacles from the Bible? The early pilgrims would come, and then they would have the fall where they're celebrating, thanking God that you provided for us for the coming winter and the year, and it literally came out of the Bible. So in a way, we are celebrating as a nation the Feast of Tabernacles every year for the time of Thanksgiving. Now here, I want to share something very interesting with you. Jesus may actually have been born in the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't have time to go into all the details, but there are details that are given when, you know, John uh, and, and John the Baptist and when he was born and his parents and his father that was a priest and he was in a certain month of what he was doing. And there are many of our Messianic Jewish brothers and sisters that would tell us we believe that Jesus was actually born in the Feast of tabernacles. And what is amazing is that would mean he was conceived at Hanukkah. So from Hanukkah being conceived, then being born at the Feast of Tabernacles. And look at this, John chapter 1, verse 14. And I want you to read this scripture out loud with me. It says, and the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of an only begotten of a father, full of grace and truth. Did you know that John 1.14 says, literally, Jesus was the tabernacling of God in a human body. It comes from the Feast of Tabernacles. That was always God's plan, not just to be up in the sky far away or on the top of a mountain, but to literally come through a little baby, the incarnation that you could hold, and then that he would grow up. And he would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. The Greek word there for what it says, tabernacle, or it says in some translations, dwelt, the Greek word is skenu, the Greek word. 
And the word, Greek word skenu means to tent or to encamp, to reside. So God, whoo, man, I wish, oh, I wish I could have been with Jesus. Don't you wish you could have been with Jesus? God tabernacling in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to tell you this. Jesus tabernacles and the light of the world. There's an interesting story that for the Feast of Tabernacles, it's kind of like here, you know, if, if Solomon's porch, uh, and it's kind of dark. And so we have a few of these, these lights, electric lights or whatever. But 2,000 years ago, at the Feast of Tabernacles, they had these poles that were 75 feet high. On the top of them, there were these bowls full of oil and then a wick in it, and it would light up. So try to imagine 75 feet high, and each one of the four had four bowls, and it lit up the entire Temple Mount area. It was all, and then the priests would start singing and dancing under the light of the fire, and everybody would be playing harps and lutes and uh, trumpets and singing and dancing. And we believe that that is when Jesus, so they talked about, they said, if you haven't seen the lights of the Feast of Tabernacle in Jerusalem, you have not seen anything. And in John chapter eight, verse 12, look at this scripture, let's read it out loud. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, see that light? I've got the light. I am the light. I am the light of the whole world. I light the temple. I light the people of God. I light the nation of Israel. I light the nations. I am the light. And I believe it happened literally during the Feast of Tabernacles. All right. The last thing that I want to share with you about tabernacles is the water ceremony and the rivers of living water that spoke of the Holy Spirit happened during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I want you to imagine there's two and a half million people gathered in Jerusalem and they have come to rejoice. And the focus, the main focus of their rejoicing, not under the, only under the beautiful lights, but there was a very powerful ceremony that everybody wanted to see, participate in, sing, and dance. The priests would leave the Temple Mount. They had these, this golden bowl, and they would go down the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, to the ancient city of David, and there is a, a pool there called the Pool of Siloam. And that's where they would bring in the water into the temple area. So they would go down and they would put the golden pitcher in the water from the pool of Siloam. They would walk back up to the temple mount, go to the altar, and they would pour the water out. And everybody would yell and scream and cheer and praise God. Part of it was praying, since they were so bound to their agriculture, Lord, we are trusting that you will provide rain from heaven for our crops so that we can live and we can eat. But it was also remembering that in the past, when they were in difficult times and in the wilderness, God provided supernaturally water even out of a rock. So they said, God, you will provide for us one way or another, supernaturally, naturally, but you will provide for all of us. 
And they did that for seven days in a row. And they, I mean, the rejoicing, the hollering, the shouting, and all the rest of it, they were really excited and really into it. And then on the eighth day, now they were supposed to do it for seven days, but on the eighth day, there was a procession, but there was no pouring out of the water. And everybody was kind of in awe. It was like the fear of God would fall upon them. On the last day, which was the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was no pouring out of the water. And that's where everybody was to lift up their hearts and their hands and to pray and say, Lord, on this eighth day, they called it the great day, the last day of the feast. We not only want water for our crops and for our children, and, and we know and trust that you will provide it, but on this last day, this eighth day, we are asking for the water that you promised of your spirit. And they would cry out to God, send the rain from heaven of the Holy Spirit. So tabernacles is the people of God becoming of one mind, one heart, one accord, saying, open the windows of heaven and pour out rivers of living water upon us. Now look with me in John chapter 7, because now I think you're going to understand these couple of verses in a way you've never understood them before. Because we read in John 7 verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, that's talking about tabernacles. That's the one that has the eighth day that's called the last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out. Every, a whole nation is thinking about now, we're not doing the water libation, we're talking about the spirit. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen? Amen. So I want, to, I want to say this. In fact, I'm going to read one more scripture, Revelation 21.3, and then we'll, we'll wrap up and get ready for communion. But Revelation 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Literally, the Garden of Eden is going to be restored, only it won't be one little garden on planet Earth. The whole Earth will be the Garden of Eden. And we will be with God, and God will tabernacle with us. Amen? Amen. So this is, a, this is a time, I want to just say, it's not a coincidence with everything going on in the world right now that we're here doing the Feast of Tabernacles, and the two main things that identify Jesus is they were dancing under the light, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. They went down to the pool of Siloam to get water and pour it out on the altar up on the top of the Temple Mount. And it is an, it's interesting, Jesus went to the pool of Siloam, and if you remember in John, the Gospel of John, there was a blind man there. And Jesus went to that blind man and he opened his eyes so that the man who was at the pool of Siloam could see the Messiah who is the light of the world. So we are living in a time, and I, I, now I want to uh, declare something in the name of Jesus. I believe that 
Right now, we need a fresh outpouring, a fresh anointing. We need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're in a battle royale, and, and there's some big bruisers of demons that are, that are literally, they're manifesting. Can you, can you see that if you know the Lord at all? Can you see there's demons? Man, it's not just about politics and philosophy and how to do taxes or whatever, all the politics. There's another, there's something else going on in the midst of that that's really not right. <laughs> that's demonic. And we, we, we can't fight it in old ways or traditional ways. We, we, need, we need divine intervention. We need a new, fresh outpouring of, for, of a Jesus people revival. Can I hear an amen on that? And therefore, you know, I believe that where we are right now, in the timing of where we are, I believe that, you know, the prayers that we had last weekend and all, everybody that went to Washington and those who watch online or whatever, the body of Christ is slowly kind of waking up like, wow, these are really not right, normal times. We need God. And guess what? God is smiling. He's going, hey, good, you get it. You're waking up. Wipe the sleep out of your eyes, but yes, and I hear your fear. I hear your cry. I hear your desperation. And I'm coming. God's, God's coming. He will come for his kids. He will deliver us. And I'm telling you, the reason the demons are, their heads are spinning and the green stuff's flying is because God's put them on notice. He's coming after them. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And I'm not staying on the safe side. I'm going through the gates of hell. I'm going into the enemy's territory and I'm grabbing sons, lost sons and daughters, and I'm going to deliver them, save them, and bring them into my kingdom and into my family. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.